0: This is Way Family Church, and you're listening to our sermon podcast. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday morning at 10:30. We meet at Lawford Middle School in Tucson, Arizona. For more information about who we are, upcoming events, or if you'd like to connect, visit us online at www.wayfamilychurch. Now, get your Bibles ready, and let's begin. Uh, today, we'll continue with our sermon series. In fact, we're actually getting to the end of it here. Uh, But I think that so far, it's been remarkable to see how God and Jesus really and truly bring fullness and meaning to life. Uh, Otherwise, without him, everything's meaningless. That's essentially what the preacher or the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes is saying. And so we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're new here, this is what we do. We take a book and we we pretty much dissect it. We want to know what the, the Lord has to say to us. And so far, it's been a tremendous blessing to see that truly to find purpose in life, we need to find Jesus. And Jesus makes that change in our hearts and our lives uh, that make it fulfilling. Otherwise, what are we doing, right? Now, to be able to walk in the fullness of life according to Jesus, we need to have wisdom. A couple of Sundays ago, we talked about wisdom in a meaningless world. We need to know how to interact with people, we need to know how to do life according to God's will. We need to know what wisdom is. And we learn that Jesus himself is wisdom. Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. When he walked in this world, he walked in a way that was perfectly wise. And so what a beautiful example that we have in Christ himself. And so today, you know, we continue in that stream of thought, wisdom. What wisdom do I need? What kind of practical advice does the Kohelet or the teacher, the preacher have for us today? After all this Right here is, is a resource for us to be able to grow, to be trained up in the wisdom of God. And so we kind of continue in that stream, looking to wisdom according to, when it comes to regard, in regards to, excuse me, dealing with people who are in authority. Now I think this is entirely relevant for us today, because today, if we zoom out and we look at society as a whole, specifically here in the West, it seems that people just in general have a problem with authority. People in general, in general have grown to become accustomed to opposing those who are in positions of authority. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought, I think I'm going to fly over this chapter. But as I was digging into it, the Lord truly was ministering to my heart. And he said, no, you're actually going to spend more time in this chapter. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look in, into wisdom, practical wisdom in how to deal with those who are in positions of authority or governing authorities, civil authorities. It's important for us today because how we deal with those who are in authority really, really pivots the direction that life goes. And I'll I'll expound more, but let me ask you this. Let me ask you, just think about it with your personal experience in heart. Have you ever, ever been in a situation where you wondered about certain things that have happened in life where you feel like it could have gone much differently. You could have said, man, if only I exercised a little bit of wisdom there, life really could have turned for the better and rather than the worse, right? I think that we all have come to those forks in the road where we have to really stop, slow down, and consider what's going on according to the wisdom of God. Because I think too often, I'll be the first to raise my hand to say, I'm guilty of not thinking through things And so what I do is I just move according to my emotion, to my feeling, or to my personal ambition and desire without considering wisdom. Now, I think we've all been there. This is why this is important, because if we consider life as a whole, much of where we are and who we are is determined by the decisions that we've made. And so I think it's God's grace to us that he speaks to us so that we can continue life wiser. Smarter, you know, according to God's will. So let's uh, bow our heads and open up with the Word of Prayer, and then I'll dive into this passage. Lord, thank you, Father, for this time together. Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us, that you would help us understand the words of the preacher here. Lord Jesus, we know that these are inspired by you, Father. We ask that you would help us see, Lord Father, in a way that's transforming to our lives. Lord, may today be changing for us, equipping for us, that we would continue to be able to shine a light in this world that people may see you, and that we will be able to reflect you in a way that justifies who you are truly. So Lord, speak to us, equip us, help us, Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted, and Lord, we live for you, and we ask that you would make a huge difference through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes. And so we wonder about these forks in the road, right? And I think that we've all witnessed situations where things could have been better if only we practiced a little bit of wisdom. Uh, a little wisdom goes a long way, yes? But a lack of wisdom also goes a long way. In fact, there's a word for that. It's called foolishness. It also goes a long way. Unfortunately, a wrong way. A, a, a way that is full of challenges and consequences, terrible consequences. Now, you've probably seen episodes on TV or on YouTube, whatever it is that you watch, like Undercover Boss Uh, Those are pretty fascinating to me because little does the employee know that they're dealing with their direct supervisor or someone in authority, right? And so you've seen how these people, these employees just complain about work, or they complain about customers, or they complain about the service that they're providing without knowing who that they're actually talking about or who they're talking to. And so sometimes you even have circumstances where you might have even lived them yourselves, where you get ticked off at your employer and you start venting because you feel self-righteous enough to stick it to the man. And that's really the message that we get a lot as as just Americans and people in this society. We stick it to them. We tell them how we feel. We, We rise and we, what's the word I'm looking, revolt, right? That seems to be the norm nowadays. Submission seems to be less popular. And so what happens when an employee faces or confronts their employer in this way? They end up getting fired. When does the employer ever say, oh, you're so right. I must be demoted that you may be promoted (laughs) because you evidently are wise beyond your years and you evidently know exactly how to manage these situations. That doesn't happen. When we don't exercise wisdom, we end up getting fired. That's just one example. Or how about the person who gets pulled over by a police officer? Often it's just a traffic ticket. Maybe your light's just out. And instead of submitting to the authority, what happens? You resist, you complain, you lie, you get yourself into a di- deeper hole. And what could have been just a little warning or a simple little ticket turns into a night in jail. That happens too. What's the result, What's, why? Because we don't exercise wisdom especially when dealing with people who are in authority. Or how about that student? (laughs) I'm talking about my personal experience here, who gets assigned something and we think that's ridiculous. How can my professor expect me to accomplish such a task? How am I even supposed to complete that project or even know what to write about? This is why I'm here, to learn. And so you complain and you complain and you complain, and little, little wisdom is exercised in actually knowing how to navigate through that circumstance. And so the outcome is a failed paper or a failed project. Lack of wisdom goes a long way, wrong way. But a lot of wisdom or true good wisdom goes a long way also for the right way. Now, I'm sure that you guys can think of other scenarios or situations where lack of wisdom turned a scenario from bad to worse or even from worse to an epic circumstance that's just awful. Now, I played high school football. I'll give you the last example. I had a coach. Man, that guy liked to yell. He really liked his position and authority, and he sure did hold that when it came to our team. But for some reason, when we got on the field, sometimes he would forget that the referees had a higher authority And so if anything happened, he would complain to the degree where he's in their faces and he's yelling at them, telling them how wrong they are and how right he is and how they don't have the ability to do that. And I promise you, there were several circumstances, several situations where our coach was expelled from the game. He was ejected from the game. So do you see like sometimes the way that we respond really determines what's going to happen thereafter you know? And so this is, I think, the grace of God to give us the wisdom to be helped by this, you know, to be able to know how to navigate life so that we are wise. Because responding according to our emotions, according to our feelings, that doesn't help. But responding according to wisdom is extremely helpful. Now, hindsight 2020, right? We say, man, if only I did it the other way around. Man, if only I just stopped and I thought about it, If only I exercise a little bit of wisdom and then realize wisdom truly is important. I need to get wise. I really need to grow up and I need to get wise. It's so important. Wisdom is so important that the Bible not only speaks of it, it dedicates entire books to it. We have a lot of wisdom literature in the Bible. Ecclesiastes is among those. And so today what we want to do is look through chapter 8, which is specifically wise insights in regards to how to deal with authority, how to respond with people in authority, because how we do this can actually set us up for failure or for success. Not just in man's eyes, but in the Lord's eyes. And that's ultimately the most important thing we can do is live for the Lord. Now, before I really dive into this, I want to make something clear. Wise insights or wise sayings are not promises. So if you read the, pro- the Proverbs Those are all wise insights and sayings. They're not necessarily promises, they're principles. Because we can't always control the outcome of things. You know, you may act wisely in something, but the person who's responding to you may act foolishly. And so we can't always guarantee that a positive outcome will come when we exercise wisdom. But we can guarantee that when you exercise wisdom, you're likely to have positive outcomes. So the principles here is, is really what we're focusing on, meaning that there are limitations to wisdom. And, we, and a wise person will know this. A wise person will know that there are limitations to wisdom. And so let's take, a look to Ecclesi- the, let's take a close look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. It says this, read along with me. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what will be, for who can tell him what will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and they were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does the evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There's a vanity that takes place on earth, that there, is a, there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Wow. Now, if you felt like, I don't know what just happened right now, I, went, I read that, and uh, you know, I'm going to be quite transparent with you. I had to read this. It was about the eighth time that it started to make sense to me. <laughs> I was, "What is going on here? Which is why I kind of wanted to cruise right over it. But no, there's a lot here that we need to impact. And so today's sermon title is. Knowing wisdom and its limitations, because a wise person will know its limitations. And this is key in knowing how to live a meaningful life in a meaningless world. So continue with that stream of thought. Now the koeleth, which is the preacher, that's the Hebrew word for the preacher, the teacher, addresses the importance of wisdom and also makes mention to the fact that there are limitations to wisdom, to being a wise person. And to be aware of these limitations, obviously, it's a good thing. So what we're going to try to do is unpack that. And so Solomon, who is the Kohalath, the teacher, the preacher, this guy, you think about who he is. This is a man who knows authority, not just as someone who was subject to it because he was the son of a king at one point, but he also someone who held authority. And not just any authority, he was king over Israel. And in his time, he even had authority over neighboring kingdoms and kings, and queens. You think about it. His wisdom made him superb. And so this man was actually responding to. I do not put it past him, or put it past the fact that maybe in his time, he condemned people, and he pardoned people. He was gracious to some, and he was ruthless to others. This was his job as king, as judge. So we kind of can understand where Solomon is coming from, someone who actually knows what he's talking about, in addition to being inspired by the word of God. So if we go back to some of these examples that I gave to you earlier, like the employee who ends up getting fired, the driver who ends up going to jail, the student who ends up failing, and the coach who ends up getting himself thrown out of the game. If we think about those moments, those forks in the road, if we consider these scenarios, and if we look deeper into our circumstances where things have from bad to worse, I think that we could all conclude that much of it is a matter of how we respond to those who are in authority. Yes? Yes. So how should we respond to authority in a wise way? Well, today the preacher provides a lot of practical instruction, six in particular. But before we get into it, I want to start with the basis of the instruction. I want to look at, okay, what's going on here? What's he really provoking us to think about? Look at the basis for instruction. He asks in verse one, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? That's a rhetorical question there. It's meant to provoke you to think. In other words, who is blessed as the wise man? Are you... Are you like a wise man? Are you like a wise man? Are you, do you know the explanation of all things? Let's ask ourselves. I'll be the first to say, I have no idea what's going on in my life half the time. You know, and here I am trying to be as wise as I can. That simply is not me. You know, this is a challenge. It's is, is good for us to think about because sometimes we think we have it all together. We think that we're beyond learning. We think that we're beyond uh, being subjected to authorities or to any kind of discipline, let's say, the, the straightforward answer is no one really, no one here. And so it goes on and says, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. In other words, a person's wisdom or fo- folly to the contrary is actually evident in a person's life. Uh, I hate to break it to you, But people have already determined whether you're generally wise or generally foolish, just based on how you behave and how you respond to people and how you respond just in general. It doesn't take too long for you to kind of determine that from a person. And that's how we evaluate whether or not, hey, I want to be friends with that person or I don't. I need to stay away from that individual because they exercise foolishness above wisdom. Because it shows. It's evident in our faces. It's evident in the life of a person In wisdom, stubborn arrogance is overcome. If you don't have wisdom, you probably deal a lot with stubbornness and arrogance. And it shows. No one's hiding that. And so let me give you just an example of what that looks like and the fact that it truly is evident in the life of a person. Take Daniel, for example. Daniel, uh, along with three other men, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. Remember those stories, right? In chapter one, before that story develops, they're actually brought, they're exiled from their homeland, Israel, into Babylon, and there was something about those guys. The Babylonians noticed that there was something different about those young men. So much so that special training and instruction was provided for them because there was something different about them, which means they could just see it. They could just see the way that these guys responded to everything, right? There was something noble, something good. And then what happens is they bring them all of these food that would essentially defile them and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not have anything of it because their commitment was primarily to the Lord, which is awesome that they're able to do this. And so the king's eunuch brings some food. And they said, No, 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 no. In fact, look at Daniel's response. He challenges the eunuch who's in charge of them in this way. And he says this in Daniel chapter 1, 12 through 13 Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearances and the appearances of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. What a challenge. He's challenged them to observe them, to see them, to see that they know what they're talking about, what they're doing. They're not just being rebellious. They're exercising wisdom. And what did the eunuch see? Well, these guys were legit. These guys were actually, they knew what they were talking about. They knew that they were committed and they had good reasons for it. And it was so evident in their lives. In fact, while I was preparing for this, I came across something that I I just need to share with you because to me it was like, wow, this is amazing. So, I want to share with you uh, what a prominent atheist named Matthew Paris wrote in an essay back in 2008 about a strange phenomenon that he had observed while visiting old friends in Africa. Now, he's originally from South Africa, and so he went and visited some friends that he knew from his childhood. And he eventually goes on to serve in parliament for the United Kingdom. And this is a prominent man, but he's clearly atheist. In fact, as an atheist, he says, I truly believe Africa needs God. What? That You think about that. That makes no sense. How can an atheist truly believe that Africa needs God? Well, his explanation is quite fascinating. He not only admired the work of Christians, but he saw it he could see it. It was, it was visible. Again, being clear about not being a believer of God, he admitted that Christian, Christianity made a tangible difference in the lives of the people that he knew from his childhood. And so he admired the work of Christians. He admired that they went and they helped the poor. He admired that they went and they, they helped the sick. But he also liked the way that they looked. He just said, There's just they look great. They look better. After the missionaries came in and did their thing, they look so great. And so this is what he wrote. The Christians were different. Their faith appeared to have liberated and relaxed them. There was, like, there was liveliness and curiosity and engagement with the world. Whenever we entered a territory worked by missionaries, we had to acknowledge that something changed in the faces of the people we passed and spoke to. There was something different in their eyes. It was noticeable, it was evident. Biblical wisdom shows in the life of people. Biblical wisdom brings personal transformation in the lives of you and I. And so the following verses, as we continue here in Ecclesiastes, they go on to be specific instructions on how we can be visibly wise. Do you want to be visibly wise? Do you want people to have to kind of wonder where you are? No. I am going to live in a way that you know for sure who I serve, who I live for, and that I actually think through things. Because ultimately, I would hope that I could be trusted. I would hope that I could be helpful. I would hope that I would not be a burden to people essentially. All right. And so here's some personal, just uh, not, not just very sp- explicit instructions from the preacher and how to deal with people in authority. In fact, uh, six instructions to get really practical. So let's look at that first instruction. Instruction number one, he essentially says, obey authority. That's the first thing you can do. Be obedient. Look at verse two. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him or actually, if you see the note, footnote on your Bible, it says, or because of your oath to God. Keep the king's command, meaning submit to those who are in authority because you have made that commitment to God yourself. Because if you submit to God, you're going to submit those who are in authority. We exercise wisdom when we submit to those in authority because God has called us to do that. Jesus says in Luke chapter 20, 25, to render to Caesar what is the, that of Caesar's and to, and to God the things that are God's. And then Paul, if you have read the New Testament, many times talks about how important it is to submit to our authorities. In Romans 13, 1 through 2, he says, Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Look at this. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. In other words, you resist what the Lord has done... (laughs) you're going to have to deal with the consequences and people in authority have been placed there by God himself and so a wise person will do what the lord instructs amen and those who do not essentially act foolishly and so your wisdom shows in how you respond or show obedience to christ by obeying obeying those who are in positions of authority that God has set up in place. Remember, you have have to recognize God is the one who put them in those places. And so you may be wondering, because anytime we talk about submitting to governing authorities, the question always comes up, is there ever a time for disobedience? Do I just need to submit regardless of what's going on? The quick answer, I'll give it to you, uh, is found in Acts chapter 5.29. Now, the religious authorities approach the disciples in this scenario, and they tell them, you need to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. You need to stop doing what you're doing. But Peter, look at Acts 5 29, and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. What does this tell us? Yes, we're still submitting to authority, but the highest authority is God. And so when our governing authorities are in, in, in direct conflict with our ultimate authority, who is God, then we must obey God and not men okay? Otherwise, we're still submitted to those whom the Lord has put under authority. And so when those moments come, when we do have to be disobedient because whoever's leading is directly rebelling against the Lord or His will, we have to do it. We have to, let's say, disobey in a way where we're still obedient to God. Because here's the problem that I think many of us have. We say, no, that leader's not acting according to God's way. And so what we do is we respond in a way that's disobedient to God. We think that we're being obedient to God, but instead of being loving, we're hateful. Instead of being humble, we're prideful. Instead of, being, uh, 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 instead of turning the other cheek, we are insulting and we are offensive. You're not doing things that please the Lord if you're doing things that way. So if there comes a time where we have to disobey governing authorities because they're just not in line with the will of the Lord, we do it in a way that is obedient still to the highest authority, and that's God himself. And so ultimately, we must submit to the higher authority. Everyone has a higher authority, folks. Everybody does. And so everybody has an opportunity to exercise That instruction to obey those in authority. Instruction number two, you can't easily resist authority. And I don't know how else to say this, but it's not as easy as just saying, no, thank you. Like if you have a boss, if you have someone that you uh, answer to, you can't just say, nah, I don't feel like it. It's not that easy. You know, Solomon says in verse three to four, be not hasty to go from his presence or don't try avoiding your duty. It's, It's what the NLT says, or do not take your stand in an evil cause. NLT says, don't stand with those who plot evil. For the king or for the person in authority does whatever he pleases because he can't. Those who are in authority actually have resources. So it's not easy to resist or oppose governing authorities. They have significant resources and power. You don't have the luxury of just saying, nah, without having a consequence. You're either going to be terminated, you're either going to go to jail or whatever the circumstance is. But the fact of the matter is they have the ability to impose those consequences on you. So it's not that easy, and we have to exercise wisdom to think through, what is the consequence of my rebellion? You know, a wise person thinks through things. A wise person acts patiently and according to the wisdom and knowledge of God, but whether they acknowledge it or not, the person who is in authority, that comes from God himself anyway, all right? So the Lord knows, and he will be obviously the one who rules over him, and he will keep him accountable, so it's not always our job to be God. And that's the problem is sometimes we think that we need to be God. And so this is not to say that there's never a time to oppose injustice or tyranny or whatever other evil is going on. It's just to say that we must really consider all things in wisdom so that positive outcomes may be achieved to the best of our ability. We can't control everything else. There's a YouTube video. Le- Le- Have you guys heard of Leroy Jenkins? Oh, you- let me tell you what happens there. Everyone's kind of... They're playing a game, video game. I have no idea how this video, it's like a war game or whatever. They're they're cooperating with other players and they're all kind of just huddling and saying, hey, you're gonna go that way, you're gonna go that way because the enemy's strong, right? And we're gonna make sure that we're well planned out and we're all gonna be careful and we're gonna watch each other's back. And so everyone's got the plan? Yes, all right, let's go for it. Except Leroy Jenkins, he didn't care. He just runs into the battlefield and goes, Leroy! Jenkins! And everyone dies. Because he didn't exercise wisdom. He didn't follow the plan. He wasn't careful. He just decided, eh, whatever. And too many times I think that we have that. And the problem is it doesn't just affect us. It affects those around us too. So we must exercise wisdom. Instruction number three, obey and be not punished. That's what Solomon's saying. Again, this is not a promise. It's a general principle. Solomon says, whoever keeps a command well, no, no evil thing. This means when you're obedient, you don't get punished. I don't punish my kids for being obedient. Do you? Nope. Good. <laughs> you know, when we, when we follow the rules or when we do or submit to our authorities, we're, we're not punished. That's essentially what he's saying. So obedience brings peace and blessing. Disobedience results in punishment and hardship. That's just how it works. So submitting to others usually keeps us safe from harm. Amen. Instruction number four. There's a good time for all things. So we can also say that good will come in its time. Not always, not exactly when we want it necessarily, but it will come in its time. Look at verse five. And a wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. In other words, those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right when it is right. We need to exercise patience once again. For there is a time, verse six and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on hand. Man, I, I, I feel that. Sometimes we have that sense of urgency, like, I just got to do something now. And we lack wisdom in how to do it. But, but there's a time and a way for everything. For he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? Thus, limitations of wisdom. We can't always know the outcome of things. And I think that God designed it that way for us, that we would come to him, cling to him, and trust him and not our own understanding, amen? Verse eight, no man has the power to retain the spirit or the power over the day of death. You know, only Jesus has that power. He took on flesh and he gave up his spirit and he took it back up again. Other than him, no man has that power, only Christ. So there is no discharge from war nor wickedness deliver those Who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Simply put, a wise person knows that God is in control and that he will judge every matter in his time. And it's fine, you don't have to carry that burden yourself. And so when a wise person is oppressed by injustices, instead of lashing out against them, he or she can bear it because of the understanding that God is in control and that he will set things right in his time. Now, the next few verses are actually reasons as to why it's okay to endure injustices. And, and, and there's sometimes, exor- that sometimes injustices are exercised by those who are in authority. So here's the fifth instructions. We'll kind of explain that. Patiently endure and you will do well patiently endure, and you will do well. Wicked people eventually die, and they're forgotten. That's one of the reasons why it's worth enduring. Nothing lasts forever under the sun. We'll talk about that more. Death comes. There's an end to everything under the sun. Life everlasting is beyond that. And so you can just rest assured, this isn't going to last forever. Verse 10, then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place, and they were praising the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Even though you think that they're able to get away with things in the moment, eventually that will come to an end. Now, delayed judgment does not mean that there's no judgment, as sometimes people may think. Nothing's happening, therefore no judgment will come. That's not necessarily the case. We must also patiently endure because the righteousness or the righteous people who are righteous will ultimately come out all right. That's what Solomon says. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. And so we're going to be all right. Exercise wisdom. You're going to be all right. The Lord's in control. And then the other reason why we need to endure is because the wicked will be dealt with appropriately. We can just be rest assured on that. Verse 13, but it will not be well with those or with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear the Lord. Bottom line, patiently endure and it will be well for the wise. And then finally, let me give you the sixth instruction here, and that is consider that God's ways cannot be fully understood. So we can have practical insight, practical wisdom, practical advice, and even then we will never know all things. We just will never get to that. We'll always have those moments that we call head scratchers. For instance, look at verse 14. There's a vanity that t- takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. Why? A lot of people wonder that, right? And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. As my friend Justin Reina would say, what? No Nintendo. I don't understand this. Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good people have to deal with such terrible things? This doesn't make sense, you know? It's that question that, that, that the ancient questions like why is life so upside down if God is good, why do bad things happen? You know, the New Testament gives us a lot of insight to help us understand what it is that the Lord is doing. He's actually allowing us to go through trial and tribulation to that we could be built up and be steadfast in the time, you know, and we're lacking nothing therefore. But why does it have to happen this way? We will always wonder that. We will never know the explanation of everything is what Solomon's saying. But it's okay to not know. In fact, we may not be able to fully understand everything and that's actually probably good for us. That doesn't, that's not the end goal anyway for us to know everything. The end goal is for us to know God. And so he goes on to say in verse 15, I command joy. Like this is, this is good. Pay attention to this one. Solomon says, I command joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. What comes to mind when you read that passage? Just ponder it. What comes to mind? There's nothing better than to eat, drink, and be joyful. You know, I'm reminded of the Lord's Supper. When I read that, I thought, how is eating? Oh, Jesus in Matthew 26, 26, he says, now as they were eating, The night that he was betrayed, Jesus says this. He took bread, and after blessing, he broke it, and he took it to his disciples, and he says, Take, eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup, and we had given things. He gave it to them, saying, Drink, eat, drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Solomon, did you know what you were saying? Truly, there's nothing better than to take of Christ and to be joyful. There truly is nothing better under the sun in this life, but to to receive that gift that comes from Christ himself, that we would be forgiven, that we would be given new life. This is amazing, folks. You know, this is the only way that we would truly be satisfied in this world is when we have taken of the flesh and the blood of Christ. That's when we're living. Now we're living. Now we don't have to worry about knowing everything. Now we don't have to worry about really having a grip on everything, but rather we can trust Christ and everything that he does. Oh, indeed, what great joy. Man, there truly, truly is nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. Wow. It, that just hit me, and I had to share that with you guys. It's like, Solomon, how, wow, this, you must be inspired by the Lord here. Now, Jesus, because of Jesus, we're justified and we're given new life. We're given a hope. We're given a future. We're saved unto his glory. And I'm totally fine with not understanding any, everything else. Just, just give me Jesus. You know what I mean? I don't know what my future looks like. Just give me Jesus. I can be certain of that. I can lean on that. And when I, when I interact with anybody, especially those in government authorities, I am going to submit and I'm going to be obedient for the glory of God and not mine. I'm going to submit and I'm going to respond that he may be glorified and not me. And so I am going to be at peace. I am going to enjoy the gifts that God has given us because I know that he's in control. So 1 Corinthians ten thirty one: whatever you eat and drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So if you're going to be disobedient, Do it for the glory of God. Ooh, that's going to require you to think very deeply. If you're going to be obedient, do it for the glory of God. If you're going to eat, drink, do it for the glory of God. If you're going to go somewhere, stay here, go there, do it for the glory of God. This is true wisdom. Because wisdom, once again, it's not a concept, it's not an idea, it's a person, it's Christ. Amen? Amen. That's wisdom. That's what the Bible tells us, that he is even bigger and wiser than Solomon and so I'll leave you with a couple of takeaways. So whether, uh, the first takeaway, use wisdom for the glory of God. That's our, that's our homework today. I'm going to think about things for the glory of God. And I'm going to respond to life and to people in authority for the glory of God. Takeaway number two, wisdom is evident in the life of the wise. Okay, you can see it because to be wise is to have Jesus. If you have Jesus, it should show, it should show you know, Jesus changes everything, especially how we respond to others. We can be like Daniel, like Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's something different about you. What is it? That should be us. That should be every believer, because Jesus changes everything. And so I'm going to finish this, 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 this passage here, but just see, we, it's okay. We can be at peace. Solomon says, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done under the earth how neither day or night, Do ones I sleep, then I saw the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much a man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Lean on Christ. That's what you need. Because then you've got it all. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would just help us understand this in a way that we could really live it out, that wisdom would show upon us. That our face would shine, Father, from your presence, as it did with those of old. Lord, help us just be difference makers in this world, but that difference needs to start within us. Well, thank you for your word. I just pray that you would continue to minister to us as we go on, Father. We love you. we praise you in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.